Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor-in-chief of Modern Retail. And this week, uh, I'm super stoked. We have Eric Gerard, who's the founder and CEO of Brunt Workwear, which is a direct-to-consumer workwear apparel company. Um, it's it's pretty new. Um, it's been it's been ramping up over the last year plus, and I'm really excited to just talk about like launching a new company, especially an interesting sort of subsection of apparel like workwear, which is less sexy than a lot of other a lot of other industries we talk about. So, Eric, thank you so much for for joining me. Thanks for having me on, Kale. It's uh, always a pleasure to speak and uh, and really appreciate it. Absolutely. So for those who don't know, why don't you just give a sort of genesis story? What's what? How did Brunt start? I've been in e-commerce for over a decade, and this is probably the most natural uh, kind of genesis or founding stories because uh, it's kind of just kind of happened in real life. Um, <laughs> a serial entrepreneur kind of took me under his wings early on in my career at Rue La and then over at Launch and Mgemi and so luxury fashion and luxury fashion Italian shoes and then trade coffee, which is, you know, is, uh, is kind of premium coffee, high quality coffee. And so everything was kind of in that vein, but, but I actually grew up in a blue, small blue collar town called Bristol, Connecticut. Um, almost all my friends went in the trades, uh, right out of high school. Um, and neither of my parents went to college, but, but I was, had a really young interest in business and kind of my mom kind of said, maybe you should, you should look at getting some proper kind of training in that. And so I ended up going off to college, all my buddies went into the trades. And, um, you know, when I was before I was even coming out of college, they were already owning homes and driving trucks and had no debt. And I was I was coming up uh, up to my eyeballs, you know, covered in college debt and everything else. And uh, luckily, fortunately, you know, I'm still best friends with those guys to this day. And we were actually at my bachelor party five years ago, riding ATVs and boats up in up in the middle of New Hampshire. And they were like, you know, why, why don't you you know, you're in all this fashion stuff. You don't, even, you know, you don't even really care about it. Why don't you, you know, create a brand for us? And I said, well, you know, I need, I need to learn a little bit more, get some of the skills under my belt. And, you know, fast forward from then, you know, um, really three years later, uh, started putting the plans in motion for, for what is now today is Brunt Workwear. And at the highest level, it's a modern brand for the construction worker and tradesperson that has generally been, you know, overlooked and underserved. Uh, there's tens of millions of them. It's a huge part of the U.S. economy and um, generally overlooked and underserved by brands that are, almost, you know, usually 100 years old. Not not only, you know, most people's fathers have worn those brands or grandfathers, sometimes it's even great grandfathers. And so there hasn't it's one of the last kind of frontier categories that hasn't really had to adjust because of the incumbents are just so old and so large. And it was one of the last categories that the D2C evolution kind of overlooked because, um, it just wasn't that sexy compared to a lot of the other things. Lot to dig into, but what were, what was the first? What was your first product? Did you just launch with one product or a few? How did that work? Yeah, so um, so we started uh, literally from the ground up for the you know for the modern construction worker. They they put their work boots on, right? So starting from the ground up, we started with our work boots, and, and we've since gone into apparel and worked our way up, um, you know, from toe to head. But uh, but the thesis was. Uh, Work boot category is incredibly, um, it's an incredibly critical item for the workday. You're standing in at 10, 12 hours a day, super important, really high barrier to get into. These boots are technically rated and safety rated, and, and they actually have standards that they have to achieve. And so um, wanted to create kind of a statement in the market that one, we knew how to create a product that um, that meets all these certifications and, and really laid the foundation. And then and then hopefully we could follow on with that. And so we started with the work, the work boot as the concept. 
and then did a bunch of research into what boots, you know, what boots are selling in the market, what boots are selling in certain regions, and tried to come up with a, the tightest assortment possible of boots that we thought kind of hit the needs of really the kind of, you know, modern construction and tradesperson left out, um, you know, left out some others, you know, there was a lot of debate on which styles are going to make it in, which styles are not, but we had four key four key styles that we launched the business with and all four of those styles are still in our line today and we continue to add more. When did you launch those first styles? We launched those, we shipped our first boots September 10th uh, of last year. So we're, you know, we're 20 days out from our first official, you know, day of business or day of actually shipping product. Wow. So did the pandemic delay that launch? Was it in September for a reason or sort of how did that, all of that play out? Yeah. So, so unlike some of the other e-commerce businesses I was involved in, this one took two years to really get off the ground from start to finish, forgetting the concept of the pandemic, which is a really critical part of that. <laughs> um, designing the boots, prototyping the boots, getting them meet the standards is a really long, tedious process. And so, you know, once, once that process was kind of, that was the first part of the project was really getting that stuff underway. Cause we knew we were going to have about nine months to a year. Then we actually built the rest of the business. So there was probably, you know, in a perfect world, it would, would have been about a year ex, ex, ignoring the fact that you had to get really going on product really early for this business. Mm -hmm. And so we went into that, um, uh, kicked that off, that process off in January of 20, last year. So not this past January, the January before. And then, you know, we're, we're down the, you know, products are getting prototyped and all that stuff. So we knew we had about another nine to 12 months, give or take. And then, uh, you know, the pandemic hits in, February, end of February, March of last year. And, you know, no one knew what was going on. We had no idea what was going on. Um, my, some of my investors were calling me, telling me to freeze everything, keep, you know, um, keep whatever money we had left in the bank to, to get through that right out the pandemic and then pick things back up afterwards. Um, the only good news for us was, you know, the pandemic was, did two things. It either, you know, hurt a lot of businesses or helped a lot of businesses and maybe some in between. Um, our core customer, uh, you know, two weeks after they, there was about a two week hiatus. And then a lot of our core customer, the real construction worker, the trades worker that was really building the economy in the country during, you know, one of the challenge, most challenging times was, it was deemed essential. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of like, you know, um, healthcare workers and frontline workers, uh, construction workers, uh, and tradesmen were also as well in a lot of pockets. And so, um, so that was, you know, good sound bite. Number one was, um, uh, it's not like they're going to be sitting at home. Um, the layoff was really quick. And then we also had um, industry information from from our partners who, who helped us on the boot side that, you know, boot sales weren't slowing down at all. It was shifting from, you know, going into stores at that time to now online. So this customer that might not have wanted to buy online before is now is now finally testing out kind of the world of e-commerce. And so it ended up going from, you know, catastrophe, which we had no idea if we were going to freeze everything to, um, you know, a value driven brand making high quality products at a better price. It was like the, you know, the perfect storm, this customer needed a good product to get through the pandemic, but also, you know, didn't, you know, wanted to hopefully save some money in, in the process. And also the convenience of a solution of shipping direct to their house, free shipping, free returns, free exchanges kind of um, put a bunch of wind in the sales. And so instead of launching right before the holidays last year, we actually, you know, that spring, we uh, we accelerated and, and we're trying to get the business launched sooner than possible. And so we actually ended up getting it technically shipping in you know early September and had some pre-marketing in the summer and August and all that stuff. So 
it had quite the opposite impact, which is once we took the two weeks to figure out what was happening, we then stepped up, you know, stepped on the accelerator and, and I'm really fascinated with that initial marketing schema because your customer acquisition plan is to get people who traditionally like aren't as digitally savvy as your usual online brand brand. These are people who, you know, probably would go into maybe a department store or go to their very specific store to buy the shoe that they've always gotten for years. So when they were sort of forced to go online, how did you find them from the get go to convince them to buy your, your product? Probably about June, June of last summer. So, you know, we were, we were a couple months out from launching that fall. Um, we were getting a lot of the operational backside of the business up and running the, the warehouse, the website, all the technical stuff. And so we took advantage of a little bit of the waiting game. We're waiting for, you know, waiting for these boots to show up that we started working on over a year ago. And we, um, basically started creating, we let the world know that Brunt was coming that Brunt workwear was coming, our boot, you know, our, we had new boots coming. It was a whole new model. It was the first time we were, you know, cutting out the retail markups in the work boots, selling them direct to consumer, created some, some content, started to share it on social. And then, um, and then we built the program for the people that you early supporters that still had yet to even hold our boots in their hands, which was, you know, um, share our content, spread the word that Brunt's coming, whether, whether you're going to be a customer or not. And by doing so, um, they could, uh, earn different levels of, there was a mechanism, earn different levels, you know, t-shirts, hats, uh, toolbox stickers, things that really relate to kind of the job site and, and kind of the lifestyle as construction worker. And the ultimate prize was free boots, um, as well. And so it kind of went, went up and, um, and we had great receptivity people were, you know, the, this, what we kind of, we didn't know the answer to, but we kind of expected was this modern construction customer, was has been waiting for a modern brand right they're used to wearing that that so when they saw our modern kind of our modern branding um our modern creative the way we kind of approached uh approach the brand and really included the actual construction worker into the ethos of the whole brand and woven in deeply it was um i think for many of them it was a breath of fresh air um and so it was great so we built up a, a nice audience of people who were waiting basically for our, for our products to launch and try them out and so by the time it came around and the boots came in we already had um you know a, a built-up audience of folks that were really waiting to to get those first boots what did you find was the most effective social channel i would imagine maybe facebook but maybe i'm wrong about that yeah so i i was pr i'm really deep on instagram um is, is kind of like my bread and butter. Uh, we had both Facebook and Instagram at that time. Um, you know, now, now TikTok pretty, our customers pretty voracious on TikTok. So really? yeah, so they, they, you know, they, uh, especially my buddies, they, they kind of got late to the Facebook and Instagram game and where that kind of fashion kind of led that fashion and food and all mm -hmm. the pretty pictures that you've seen. Um, when TikTok came out, they kind of went crazy you know a lot of these guys they can shoot them while they're driving around from job site to job so they can shoot them on the job they have a lot of interesting stuff going on and so um so for the so to answer the question back you know to launch the business it was mostly facebook and instagram but you know if i were to do it today tiktok would be a critical part of that because they've kind of adopted that in, in droves um and it works kind of for the working lifestyle as well have you so what have you done any work recently with people on TikTok or TikTok specifically? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of uh, you know we've got a lot of folks who who support the the, the brand, um, whether you want to call them influencers or ambassadors or whatever that love our product, love to share it, love to share the story, and um, you can see you know as we started working with them all on Instagram over the past year, they've all either they either were early in moving over to TikTok or now mm -hmm. they're kind of 
it's kind of their either their primary channel and they kind of either they some of them you know exploded there quickly early on the algorithm was kind of open you can get really large really fast so some of them are even um their leading platform now is tiktok and, and instagram has become their second um so so yeah wow so walk me through, I really want to talk about this ambassador program, that what you were talking about earlier with the tiers of building momentum during the summer, was that just sort of you building this brand ambassador program? Or do you have another thing specifically for people on Instagram or TikTok who have a large following that you're trying to recruit to rep the brand? Yeah, yeah. The initial the initial program is any anyone and everyone that just wanted to share. So a lot of folks were, um, a lot of folks were, uh, maybe had had some influence or had some some audience but but we didn't really care actually if it was you know if it was my cousin danny who's got no friends on facebook or instagram as long, <laughs> if they're spreading the word and getting you know sharing it and getting you know whatever the, i forget the tiers but five friends 10 friends 15 friends mm -hmm. more than happy to give them that you know give them those rewards that they earned and so that was less less so dependent and then um and then yet separately some of the folks may be the same, but but not intentionally. Um, you know, we've got these folks who have large audiences, are domain ex experts in whether it's you know the trades, trades and construction are, are very vast. There's like 160 something different trades. Yeah. There's welding, there's auto technicians, there's carpenters, there's framers. They're all very different. They all have their own different following, and the people that follow them are likely in that trade because they want to learn tips, tricks. Uh, a welder might not care about a framer who's building a house because those those things maybe they do but generally unrelated and so um and so we've got a great group of folks that uh that from day one have, have uh you know we've got gotten them their product usually first before the market gets it they get to beat it up test it make sure it's legit and then and then obviously and then help spread the word um so it's uh it's been pretty good how i how do you go about finding those people because as you said there are so many trades there are so many sub niches of instagram of tiktok with people who have hundreds of thousands of followers that we have no idea about so w w do you have a spreadsheet do you have people at the company who their entire thing is looking up hashtags to see who's leading the conversation how do you go about that for these niches yeah so it started with me spending you know uh, too many tens of hours per week, especially last summer, just going through, just going through, going down ra rabbit holes and, and, um, you know, checking out the tool companies. There's a lot of tool companies that, you know, that, that kind of do this and, and you kind of go down these rabbit holes. You eventually, after you spend enough time, you start to kind of navigate, right here, here's how this, how this, all these different worlds work. Here's who the players are, who, here's who, who creates, you know, Maybe they're not huge, but they create incredibly good content and, and, you know, they spend a lot of time on editing and all that stuff. So it's, I mean, I wish, I wish I could say there was like an easy answer, but it's just literally putting in hundreds and hundreds of hours over the course of, you know, a couple months to really understand the landscape. And it's gotten to the point now where um, we've got such a good group of folks that work with us that, uh, yeah, we have dedicated folks and, and, and their job is to take care of these folks and make sure they're, you know, they're, we're getting them the latest products, we're getting them whatever they need, um, and making sure they feel as, uh, as good as they can. They helped us out from the beginning. So we take care of them, right? They'll, they'll call, they might need something from us. They might need some help. They might need some, some of them call for business advice just cause they've seen the business kind of explode so fast over the past year. And, and. You know, I'm on the call a couple times a week just doing stuff like that. So it's kind of real relationship. Whatever they need, we try to be there and vice versa. They, they've been there from, from before we launched to support us and continue to. Out of curiosity, and this might be just a dumb question on my part because I don't know, but like for the, for the incumbent brands, 
uh, like I have, a, I have a list in my head that are, that are, you know, the centuries old companies that you're going after. Are they targeting these types of ambassadors and influencers who are on Instagram as well? Or are they not doing as much social marketing because they don't have to? They are. They are. Um, I see I see them out there for sure. Um, you know, I mean, I think it's, you know, for me, the, the big difference that I see is, you know, uh, it started out with literally me. So a lot of these folks liked interacting with the founder and the CEO of the business. You have no, any of those other brands that are in your head, you, you probably no one could even name who the folks are that are running that business or even work there. Mm-hmm. Um, to the team that we're, hire, that we're hiring up to help work with these folks and, and manage kind of this world are folks who used to work in construction of the trades. So they get it. They understand when, you know, boot failure happens, why it happens, where it happens. All They know... The, the full-blown lifestyle, what it's like to come home after the end of a long week, what the weekends are like. So we have the real deal kind of, you know, tried and true blue-collar worker who's interacting with these folks and speak their language, understand their problems, understand their challenges versus, you know, hiring up some agency to, to, to go figure this out, which we've heard, you know, is, is somewhat of a turnoff from, from uh, when that happens from, from some other folks. Yeah. Well, can you go a little bit more into that? So how do you, how do you approach the content strategy? Is it just talking to them and responding? I feel like, I feel like you, you coming from a, a more luxury background and even like trade coffee, which goes after a very certain type of individual who I'm, you know, I'm sure some construction workers are drinking nicer coffee, but not all of them. <laughs> exactly. Um, um, but so how, 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 it, what were the levers that you had to turn in terms of how you were, you know, marketing to these people, speaking, speaking to this new audience? Yeah. So I mean, it's pretty natural for us because, you know, we've got our social channels, we've got our website, you come to our account, you know, it's, it's so, the brand is so palpable that we've woven the customer, the real customer into it, like verse, verse, pretty high end pictures of boots and stage stuff. Like we're, we're uploading most of our stuff's UGC from customers or, or, or partners or whatever it may be. Um, so the authenticity has really just helped the entire, you know, help the conversation because it, it's not like, Hey, so-and-so come in. Can you tell, uh, your friends how good this new cushion system is that, you know, X, Y, and Z. We're like, literally, you want to try, try our boots. We, we don't care what you say. You, we give no scripts. We have no, whatever you want. And, and because we have, you know, we have really strong product and a, and a really good brand, um, folks will t- focus on different parts. They'll tell their own story and, and we don't try to control the narrative. We don't, you know, put any of those things that, in the fashion world, people really control. You can say this, you can't say this, focus on this, X, Y, and Z. So it's really, I mean, our biggest thing has been authenticity and uh, and no controls, no contracts, no nothing. We're just, we're just kind of a, you know, we're, we try to be as flexible and not, you know, these folks work long days. The last thing they want to do is come home and read a, whether it's a mm-hmm. one page or a 10 page agreement. It's like, you know, let's just get them some boots and see what they think. And if they don't like them, send them back. And if they love them, great. Um, so I think that's kind of been, um, you know, what separated us from, from how that's happened. Absolutely. Walk me through, um, product expansion. Uh, cause you know, you started just with boots, but now it seems you have a lot more products in the pipeline and for only less than a year out, that seems pretty quick. So how have you, how have you approached that? Do you fear about overextending yourself in terms of production and SKUs? Yep. Yep. It's a good question. So SKU creep is usually the death of most early stage DTC businesses. Um, I try to stay in the team, we try to stay as disciplined as humanly possible, which is how can we make the least amount of products to deliver the full, you know, workwear uniform, right? And so 
So uh, I would have loved to have made one boot and just like, you know, like mm-hmm. you think about like away luggage or all birds or businesses that have, you know, for many years were one skew businesses before they get large. But we have a lot of different use cases, subsets of customers that need different things. And so, so try to keep this assortment as tight as possible. Um, but we don't have the luxury of being a one product SKU. So we have to offer more than one in footwear, right? So we launched with footwear. We had four, four original styles. Um, now we have essentially five different styles, but two of them are variants of other boots. So we have essentially seven boot styles. We launched our workwear pant as well. That all the, And all those boots have sold out at least once and a couple of them sold out five times. We launched our workwear pant and our workwear hoodie this past spring. And those all sold out within like a week, basically. Um, we actually got more hoodies back in over the summer, but you know, hoodie season is about to, about to pick back <laughs> up. Um, and so we have really technical work. So from, from the ground up, the boots, obviously, which we t- touched on, the work pant, really critical as well. Um, you know, has to be highly, highly durable, abrasion resistant. You know, we have DWR, so so water, oils, and things of that speed right off of it. So real technical construction. Um, everything's thought through of how it works on the job, you know, while it's on the job. Going up to the work top, which is a really technical hoodie, same thing, and has a hard hat compatible hood, snaps, no strings, so it's safe. Big belly pocket to hold an iPad for if you're on a job site with a, with a foreman or you know, catch corners in. So if you have screws or, or nuts in there, they won't fall out of the side. So really same thing, really technical piece, really thought through. And, um, and so we started to move from, from the ground up, right? Boots, pants, hoodies, and, and we have some more items coming out to really round out that, really that workwear uniform from the head, head to toe, basically. And, and that's kind of the, the, the lane that we play in. We know what we don't play in. We're not going to get into get into tools and other areas where the, where other brands and other companies focus. We know what we know. Um, and we want to be, you know, the modern, the modern workwear uniform for the modern construction customer looking ahead. How are you going about sourcing and manufacturing specifically as you're doing, you know, product testing during a pandemic? I imagine that's slightly difficult. Yeah. So we've got a gl- truly global supply chain across, uh, well, we, we have access to seven countries. We're in, um, we're in three countries right now. And you can imagine during the pandemic, you know, NERT challenges around supply chain, all of that stuff. We actually haven't, uh, other than selling out, which is a, which is a little bit of a high class problem, but um, <laughs> but it hasn't been. Uh, we haven't been sold out and out of stock because of supply chain issues. It's mostly been because the you know we sold more than we thought, and, and we couldn't you know we didn't anticipate the, the 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 demand as much, even though we've ordered more and more every time we've reordered. And so um, so yeah so. Uh, it's, it's impacted mostly, you know, fortune 500 companies, right. Who are dependent on not only the labor force, the factory, uh, factories, as well as materials, um, that are, that are, you know, empowering entire cities in some of these countries. And so, um, so yeah, so it's, it's, uh, not a challenge though. I, I think about it every day and I'm, I don't take for granted that that could, that could rear its head in the coming months or, or looking ahead, but, um, but yeah, we've been very fortunate on, on that. And now it's, um, and then it's just continued to optimize. We're always looking at other resources and other, uh, in other countries and other locations as, as a disaster scenario. What if that country gets shut down for a period of time? What do we do? And so we have, we have, uh, backup plans basically in place for both footwear and the, the apparel side of the business, which are totally different. And so, so those are those supply chains are both completely separate, and so you're drawing from two different. Two businesses. different, yeah. Footwear, footwear is 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 its own animal. You know, really technical, 
you know, high tech equipment, very expensive equipment, machinery, how to build footwear is, is a totally different skill set than apparel. And even as, as you know, we're hiring up our team and, and building out, you, you rarely find someone that's done both footwear and apparel. You're either, you're a, you're a footwear expert in, in your craft or you're an apparel expert in your craft. And those things are always almost two separate functions in any, in any given business. Cause they're just so unique and different. Mm-hmm. So how, with with these expansions, are you finding that your first initial customers are repeat customers, or are you doing specific you know marketing campaigns trying to get someone in a certain field who is looking for this specific shirt? Sort of, I, I imagine that with the shoes, it was overcoming the first hurdle. Now, how are yep. these second hurdles coming along? Yeah, yeah. So we're still so you know still focused on growth, 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 growth. Um, you know, no at the you know at the end of the day, being less than a year old. 99% of the country, more than 99% of the country doesn't even know Brunt Workwear exists yet, right? We're mm-hmm. just so early in our life cycle. So continuing to grow on um, from a uh, new customer, a new, new whatever brand advocate perspective. And so, uh, and so that's been good. We, you know, we've consistently grown, you know, 63% month over month, every single month since we launched. And, um, but, but a good point is, if we just sold a bunch of people one pair of boots and they never came back, we either, you know, our brand's not that interesting, our products aren't that good, and um, we haven't had a full year yet, so you can't really even say our, you know, last year's customers. But but our first <laughs> our first cohort of customers um, has uh, has as incredible and depending on the li- how much the listeners know about repeat, but forty four percent of those customers have repeated. Um, from the original time they purchased and 75% of those have bought actually three, uh, three or more pairs of boots. And so from a repeat perspective, it's, that's incredible, you know, cost shows the products really good. Or, you know, if they, if it wasn't, they wouldn't come back and buy more or, and, or two, uh, the brand is really sticky and hopefully it's a combination of both of those things, right. Um, product and brand. Yeah. I want to talk to you about the growth thing. Cause that's something I've been thinking about a lot just from a journalistic perspective and what's going on in the industry. But as you're growing, how are you approaching sort of the money and fundraising side of things? I've heard from multiple different people, read different articles that just like the conversations that are happening now specifically for, you know, online companies is just worlds different than it was two years ago. Um, is, is that something that you're experiencing when you're, if you're talking to investors, what are they saying? Do you have less to prove now for lack of, a, for being for being a little bit glib? Yep, yep. So yeah, so Two years ago, um, when it was when this was still a, just a you know an idea, really a business plan on paper, um, had a really hard time, um, especially raising from like the venture world. I was talking to a lot of folks in the venture world because they didn't. This this was such a different customer, and it's not a customer they could relate to because they were so you know they're a totally different world. So didn't understand you know, um, the spending power of the customer, right? Uh, not having debt coming out of college, really good jobs, really, you know, owning their own homes. They have, a, they have a really good spending power Two, that, um, that this product is, is not, uh, you know, they're buying this product as a tool to do their jobs. And so it is, it is not a discretionary purchase. It's not a fashion purchase. They think of mentally, they think about it very different than a lot of the, the fashion focused, you know, investors or whatever it may be. So it was really challenging early on. Um, less so from a market perspective, more so than the stage where I was at, um, mm-hmm. in, in the business and, and had a lot to prove. I had to prove, can I actually even make a product that's this technically certified? 
Two, will the customers even care about it? Three, will they buy online? Four, will they come back? All those things that we now are starting to see some signs of. So really challenging early on. Um, but but agree with you. And then then today, where the general market where they see the general market has changed is it used to be go for growth. Who cares about, you know, spending everything and, and losing your shirt in the process and you'll figure it out later. Um, we've been very methodical that we run the business really efficiently and um, we don't, you know, we don't want to uh, go upside down and spend spend crazy dollars and just try to take market share and hope we can figure it out one day. We run we run the business really, really. Uh, every single day, we're looking at the performance metrics and we're adjusting by the day, um, not just looking at it on a monthly basis, weekly, a monthly, or some some business on a quarterly basis at a board meeting. Um, so we're being really disciplined in how we run the business, and um, and then and then because of that. Uh, I think the market's tricky. If you have a if you have a well run business and, and, a, and an operating plan that you're executing with, I think there's money there's money to be had out there. The market's really really frothy, but those investors have been burned over the past five to ten years from the, the, the people that have kind of gone rogue. And so, it kind of if you show up with a plan that's like we're going for this, you might have a, a tough conversation. But for the people that can have a disciplined operating plan and, and follow it and actually hit your budgets and come under budget or whatever. I think there's, there's appetite there. So it's more of the markets there. If I think depending on how you approach it and, and if you're talking to the right folks. And so do you think that like just with other founders that you speak with, they're, they're doing that much more systematized approach where they're saying it's not bust ahead, grow at all costs and figure it out. This, these are our models. These are our projections and we're going to hit them and then go from there. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to do that because it's easy to get the shiny nickel syndrome, but, but that <laughs> is, that is the, that's kind of the, at least the way I see it. That's the new kind of the rule is these people, um, these investors are savvy are savvy mostly because they learn the hard, hard way and they want to see a real plan and a real path to build a real business, not just uh, a venture funded business that is only afloat because millions of dollars are behind it. When those, when that money washes out, is, is there still going to be a business sitting there, right? And so, so I think a lot of people are thinking this way. Um, you know, it's a tricky balance. You don't want to be too conservative where you build a nice, you know, a small growing lifestyle business, but you also don't want to be too bullish where you you either are going to go to the moon or the entire company is going to implode. And, and so I think it's a healthy balance of figuring out what's right for for the team and how do they operate, but also for the market that you're in, right? Like we're in, you know, we sell products to customers. If you're in maybe a, you know, software or a technology business, they're totally different games. So I can really only speak to, to the world that I know, but, yeah. um, but generally, at least in the D2C consumer space, um, the the market the investors are definitely savvier and they they want to see a real plan to build a real business not just uh, how can we get to 100 million fastest and we'll figure out the rest later absolutely all right we're almost running out of time but i just have about one and a half more questions which i mean it's just sort of a a broad like what what's coming up what's on the horizon you mentioned some uh some new products that you're that you're probably gonna be launching but also just sort of parenthetically you know you're online only um, and I feel like a lot of other DTC brands, their sort of growth mode is figuring out retail partnerships. Is that on the horizon for you or sort of how are you approaching that? Yeah, so it, 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 I think about it a lot. Um, but because um, we're growing at the rate we're growing, you know, in kind of this digital world, um, there's a bunch of different levers, you know, a bunch of different growth levers that I think about all the time. Obviously, retail partnerships would be one of them. Um, my, my it, you know, not sooner than later is is probably the play because you know if if we can continue to grow in this digital world the customer is becoming more digitally savvy they're wanting to shop that way um 
it'd be crazy for myself and the team to take our eye off the ball and focus on some, a totally new channel that is much of it's an opportunity. Usually it's a bigger distraction than it is. And so we'll tackle those, those new channels that, that, that we know are out there when we get to a place where, okay, we've, we've, we've tapped out this kind of this digital ecosystem. Now we need to go into the physical ecosystem or international or, uh, you know, different platforms to sell. And so, um, Top, top of conversation and a lot of board meetings and a lot of conversations, but it's kind of one of those things where um, I've seen it before. You take on, you know, you try to do, five, you know, more than one thing or five things at once and you end up doing nothing where right now we're, we're all laser focused on digital and it's working for us and we're scaling it and it's efficient. So um, same, same conversations earlier, just trying to stay super disciplined because we can almost kind of go in any direction right now. And that's, that's usually where I think a lot of, a lot of founders lose their kind of their, their focus. Absolutely. All right, Eric, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. Likewise. Thanks, Gail. Appreciate it. And thank you for listening to this episode of the modern retail podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week.